Good morning. It's good to be together today. It's so good, in fact, we're going to talk about that today. Let me ask you this question first, though, or finish this statement. The biggest threat to the church is... The biggest threat to the church is... I've heard a number of answers proposed to this statement, this question. Some say it's a certain kind of activism, ideology, or theory, or some other external attack. Okay, those may be great big threats to religious liberty, but not to the church. Persecution strengthens the church. So what's the biggest threat to the church? The biggest threat to the church is within us and our relationship to God, our relationship to each other. That's where the biggest threat to the church lies. When there is no love of God in us, no fear of God in us, no humility and no worship of God. Instead, our pride, our apathy, our foolishness, or self-worship, that's the number one threat to destroying the church and destroying ourselves. Well, we reject that here at Community Grace, and today God's Word is taking us right there in our Exodus series, moving the world to freedom. We're entering the narrative of the great story of the universe, the story of God, of which we're still very much a part this very day. Right here, God leads us today, Exodus 23, verse 20. You probably have your Bibles open since Ben just read that, but if not, take that out. He's going to take us right here to an awe of God, a love for God, an obedience to God, a worship of God. We're meeting God on the mountain today is what's happening. Today is a very important day to have your own sermon notes and pen. So, Scott, you got those? Raise your hand if you don't have a copy of the sermon notes and pen, and he's going to put one in your hand. <clears throat> so, just to tell you where we are in the book, Exodus 19, chapters 19 through chapter 24, where we've been the last couple weeks, and we're going to finish that section today. Chapters 19 through 24 is called the Mount Sinai event. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you remember when God led them, he's leading them out of slavery, through the wilderness, to Mount Sinai, where some of the biggest things in the universe happen. And we're going to finish the, that section of scripture today. God had spoken the Ten Commandments directly from the people on the mountain, remember that? And then they ask, please have Moses talk to us instead of you directly. And so that's what God does. God brings Moses to give the law to the people. And then today, the Mount Sinai event concludes with two enormously important aspects to our relationship with God and with each other. To face the greatest threat that destroys us and to replace that with our greatest joy. Would you rather be destroyed today or filled with joy? Okay, so listen closely. God's going to give his promises. He's going to give his commands. He's going to confirm his covenant with his people and then give us the birth of corporate worship today. Pretty cool. It's all today. Let's begin with point number one that you see on your notes is God's promises that we should remember and claim and his commands that we should obey. As you see on your sermon notes, you see this in two columns. That's because the promises and commands go back and forth. So we're going to go back and forth. So have your pen ready there if you'd like to. And it starts in verse 20 with a promise. 
Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I send an angel before you. This is God promising to care for this young nation, his chosen nation. I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. I'll just say this right now. It's it's in the title of the sermon. We're getting ready for the promised land. God's getting them ready for the land that he's promised. So he's going to send an angel to guard and protect them to the place that he promised them. Now, angels are fascinating. It's a really enjoyable study of Scripture. God uses angels to do his will, just like he uses humans to do his will. And so they're all throughout Scripture, and I believe that they're very active in our world today. But don't think of chubby little Cupid angel with this bow and heart arrow. Not, not this one. I'm not sure that those are real. Anyway, uh, think mighty warrior angel, the commander of God's army angel, protecting them as they travel. Now, that's a comforting thought, isn't it? Scholars offer several guesses about who this angel was. One proposal is that this is the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus himself. And I think that's a pretty good guess because he appears often in the Old Testament And you see in the next verse, this angel is able to forgive sin. And who's the only one able to forgive sin? Let's look at the first command, verse 21 and the first part of 22. He says, now, I have this this promise. I'm going to take you there. Here's the first command. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression." for my name is in him. You get some pretty good clues on on who this angel could be. My name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, and there's your command, obey, obey his voice, do all that he says, then we get to the next promise, 22b through 23. Then, here comes a promise, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. God is on your side when you're walking with him, obeying him. Here he gets specific. Verse 23, when my angel goes before you and brings you to the occupants of the promised land, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, I will blot them out. Let's talk about some things that we just read there. First of all, the promise is that his people, his people's enemies will be his enemies. Another comforting thought. It's very similar, reminiscent to what he told Abraham, the the father of the Israelite nation, in the first place. Remember in the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, he promises Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your seed, and I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And he holds that true throughout all of human history. Now the land here, okay, let's talk about the land and these funny names, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, The land is occupied by a few of these nations who have become so evil and so wicked that God's long-suffering is running out, has run out. And he's about to judge them, just like he judged Egypt, just like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah, just like he did the entire world in Noah's day. When God's long-suffering runs out, he is patient, he is gracious. It runs out. I've been in a class that teaches the history, the recorded history of the pagan, murderous, violent, sexual, child-sacrificing practices of these people groups, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites. 
reading through it, it's gut-wrenching. Even in a seminary class, there had to be a disclaimer. It's sad and disgusting. And God is going to blot them out. As Hebrews 10, 31 says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We're learning about God here. He sets the terms of our relationship with him. It's much better to be loved and his obedient people than to be his enemy. And so his command to his people is, I promise you this land. I promise to drive them out. He says, when you enter the land, and you'll be in the midst of these people. Here's the next command, verses 24 through 26. Okay, when I take you there, and when you enter the land, here's the next command. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do. Hear this, people. You shall not do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and smash their pillars in pieces. God is intolerant of idolatry. It's the first and second of the Ten Commandments. He's teaching his holiness over and over every week. We come here and find more about his holiness and his character. And guess what? Jesus was the same way. I saw this meme online this week. Fit pretty well. If someone asks you, what would Jesus do? Remind them that turning over tables and breaking out whips is a possibility. <laughs> this is God's holiness his character at stake. So he tells them, this is how you protect that honor, that holiness. Verse 25, you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless, and listen how he blesses you, he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Now, this is a promise that raises some questions. Is obeying and worshiping God a guarantee of health and wealth, prosperity, uh, of childbearing, fertility, and a full life, no dying early? It seems to be saying that. And here, let's learn how to, how to interpret and understand our Bible again. Here's, what's got, here's what God is doing here. You have to look at where it is in Scripture, the genre, the, 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 the point that it is in God's unfolding plan of redemption. So we're talking about ex-slaves here. They've just been in the wilderness a short time when all their lives were in slavery, they did not have a developed theological understanding of God and the world. So God was giving it to them in doses. That's why it's called the unfolding plan of redemption. Each generation got a little bit more. That's why we call it moving the world to freedom through the gospel of Christ. It doesn't happen overnight. Your life doesn't happen overnight. And so what he's doing at this point right here He's just given them the Ten Commandments and several more laws, telling them how to love and how to live, and now he's giving them a picture of what obeying those laws and pursuing him above everything else produces in a society, health. We saw last week, if you were here, if you weren't, this is what we saw, obeying God's laws. He gave lots of all kinds of different laws, and we saw that obeying them results in better mental health, better spiritual health, better hygiene, better food distribution, fewer dangers from crime and assault, uh, respect for elders and stable families lead to a relatively stress-free environment, contributing to healthy childbearing and long life. And so it's important to not just take one verse out of context, but what we have here is a metaphorical device, not a literal guarantee that 
No one's ever gonna have a miscarriage. It's not a guarantee of an individual perfect life. That comes when? In heaven. And don't we look forward to that? This is a guarantee of a healthy, generally healthy nation. You follow God, you obey his commands, and this is what a healthy society looks like. So he's speaking in those terms. He's, he's got their attention. So back to the promise that the Lord will fight for his people, verses 27 through 31. He continues, I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. That means they're running away. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out three of those groups, the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites from before you. I will not drive, listen to this, I will not drive them out before you in one year. Listen to his care and his timing. Lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out before you. If he did all this overnight and they're not ready to occupy this great land, wild beasts are going to come in. That's a whole new problem. He just says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go before you in this proper, wise timing. And look at verse 30. Little by little I will drive them out until you have increased and possessed the land. He's telling them, these are the terms of the covenant. This is what I'm going to do for you. He's promised that they'll possess the land. This is why we call it the promised land. And what a great hope. They were loved by God, protected and cared for, given all the wisdom they need, given providential care and miraculous care. And the promised land, I just want to make sure we understand that the, it's not just about the land. A land to a people group. You can think in terms of Americans, too, what this land means to a people group. It means an identity. It means an establishment, security and peace, order and health and thriving. And this is what God has promised and preparing them for. So on your sermon notes now is a little box at this point for verse 31 regarding the promised land, the boundaries of the promised land. So this is a fun little exercise. Uh, it's a lot cheaper to draw on a box than to take everybody to the Holy Land. So let's just kind of take ourselves there right now on your notes. If you have, if you have a pen, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to spend a, a couple minutes on this. This is going to be fun. Let me, let me first read verse 31. Follow, follow this. It says, here's God's promise. I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. So we're going to geek out a little bit on maps, which is totally fine. Okay, let's go to the first slide here. And what I want you to see is that the box represents this right here. Okay, we're going to draw in right there. All right, so let's go to the next slide. Okay, here's my attempt. Now, I'm going to go pretty quick, so your drawing might not even be this nice, all right? So just draw three bodies of water, the, this, this little part of the Mediterranean Sea, the tip of the Persian Gulf, the tip of the Caspian Sea. This frames in what God is promising here. Okay, draw, you can just draw. So make sure you get this little squiggle right here, though. That little squiggle. That's important. Don't miss that. Okay, next slide. Okay, right from that squiggle, that's Mount Carmel. You go straight over, and that's the Sea of Galilee. Nice little reference point. Draw a squiggly line for the Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea. Okay, filling that in. Egypt's down there. 
Oh, this is fun. Maybe we should have a prize for the best drawing when it's all said and done. Should be, should be pretty fun. All right, next slide. Okay, now we've added the Red Sea. That is not an impressive Red Sea, I'll, I'll admit. Okay. Now we've added from here one river that splits into two, the Tigris and Euphrates. That's going to be key. All right. We won't go on yet. A few more seconds. It's okay. All this will still be up on the next slide. Now, at that point, I'll say here we are in about the year 1400 B.C. 400 years later, King David takes the throne. 400 years later. You know, if you know the Old Testament, you know, you know what's coming. The time of the judges, the time of the kings. Begins with Saul, then David. David expands the empire. The, Joshua first is the conquest of the promised land. David's kingdom expands it. Solomon's kingdom expands it. And check this out. Next slide. In Solomon's era, as he expands on David's conquests in the kingdom, the promised land is fulfilled. Now, the covenant, God is a God of his promises, and he keeps his promises. And it happens. But the covenant was also conditional based on their obedience of him. And were they always perfectly obedient in Israel's history? No. Are we? No. Should we be? Is it a benefit for us? Yeah, absolutely. Can we commit to be? Yes, we can, and we should. So as you know, that was all torn. It was divided. It was lost. It was overthrown. It was into two captivities. And that's how it goes. The glorious God who made all these promises and so many more in the Old Testament to his people has made hundreds of promises to us in the New Testament to his church. Just listen to the things that God has promised you and me. Hebrews, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Claim that promise. Remember that promise. He says in John 16, in me you have peace. In me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In 1 John, he says, if we confess our sins, he's, if we confess our sins, what's the promise? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise. In James 1, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Claim these promises because the things going sideways in your life can be addressed in this way. God's with you just as much as he is with the nation of Israel in Exodus. Hundreds more promises. He is the God who keeps his promises and delivers. And God's final command here in preparing for the land is in verses 32 and 33. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods... It will surely be a snare to you. He's preparing them for the promised land. He's told them the truth and wisdom and what will happen. And spoiler alert, that's exactly what happens. They have good times when they're obeying God, and they're snared and have very bad times when they're not obeying God. Same applies today, brothers and sisters and friends.
So here God brought them to Mount Sinai to set the terms of a relationship with God and people. It's amazing that we even get to have such a thing. He sets the terms. He makes promises to them to offer a covenant with them. The covenant is the strongest agreement you can have. And he makes the same with us too, as we'll talk about in just a moment. Now, as we enter chapter 24, they are about to hold the first form of what we are having right now, a worship service. Isn't it fun to know about the first one of something that we're doing right now? Let's look at this. God's covenant that he made with his people confirmed in a worship service. We come to the birth of worship services that Israel will hold for 1,400 years until Jesus comes and fulfills all the meaning that was given in them. And then he changes a little bit how his people, the church, should worship him. Here is uh, the order of service that we see uh, in this chat, in these first eight verses. Notice the similarities. There's a call to worship. There's the reading and teaching of God's word. There's commitment to obedience, and then a benediction, a sending out. Does that look familiar? It's very similar to what we do here every Sunday, and there's a reason for that. Let's jump into chapter 24. Verse 1, then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders of Israel and worship from afar. So He's gathering this group to have this worship service. Nadab and Abihu are new, newer characters in prominence here. They're Aaron's two oldest sons. I just want to say that in preparing them for the promised land, he is setting up the priesthood system right now, and he's going to set that through Aaron's line. And these are his first two, first two sons. So the priesthood is being set up right now. So here we go. We've got some leaders, some worshipers, Let's read verses 3 through 8, and then I'll go back and make several observations about what we just read. So, tie your hearts here in this worship service uh, to this worship service that we're reading in verses 3 through 8. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses did several actions here. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, got it in writing and print, he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. That was key in, in the worship in the Old Testament. And 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, very meaningful for the rest of the Bible and the rest of the future that we haven't even lived yet. Verse 5, and he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt sacrifices, sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. It would take some strong young men to carry some oxen. But you see the young people involved. Verse 6, And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Hold on to that. Verse 7, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. And said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So here are five observations about that worship service and how it applies to us today. First, the meeting was called by God. 
he calls the meeting. He gathers them. He spoke to them. And the church is also called by God. It's called by him. He drew us in. It's called by the apostles and by the finished word of God that calls us to be together. That's why you're here. You've been called by God and you've been obedient to that call. Second, the people were arranged in a structure. Different people have different roles and everyone is involved. No one is passive. There's nobody passively watching other people do worship. You get that? And this is way too common in churches today. People passively sit thinking that's all there is. No, you're an active worshiper. There are leaders leading all of us to actively worship together. And that is a top priority here at Community Grace. And I hope that you're on board with that. Also, have a, they gave the children and youth, the young people, uh, a role. They're fully engaged in worship and ministry. And young people and kids and teens here, you are absolutely as well because you're part of the family of God. You're part of the, the family of Community Grace. Third, the meeting was centered on proclaiming the word of God. God's word must be included in worship, that is, hearing from God. God's making his will known to us, which is now the proclamation of the Bible, God's word. Fourth, then the people accept the truth and they make a commitment. Okay, we will obey. You've spoken through your Holy Spirit, through your word, and we'll obey. And we need this every week. We get battered and beat up and selfish again, Every week, we need to come back, recommit every week. That's why God put it in place. And then fifth and finally, the meeting was climaxed by a dramatic symbol of the covenant between God and his people. For them, it was animal sacrifices of blood because the wages of sin is death. And to have a relationship with God, he has established this and provided for it. The wages of sin, we are sinners. That deserves death. It deserves our death. That's what we deserve. But God, rich in his mercy and grace, provides in the Old Testament, animal blood covered their sin, and all of it pointed to Jesus, whose blood was infinite and didn't just cover our sin, it washed it away. And that's why we sing that in our songs, that Jesus' blood that washed our sins away. Psalm says he took our sin and removed it as far as the east is from the west. You can't get any farther than that. He removes our sin from us through his, that's called atonement. He, 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 Jesus takes our sin on him. Wow. So that's what the sacrifices of blood were then. What's, what do we do now as the dramatic symbol? The Lord's Supper, communion. That's the new dramatic symbol, what Jesus called the new covenant in my blood. Oh, worship service. This is just the birth of the corporate worship of God, and it will continue to develop over the next few weeks. Tabernacles, other really fascinating things. Please keep coming every week. But we're not finished yet today. There's just one final element today. It's one that we all love. That is point three, God's covenant confirmed in a meal. How many people like eating meals? Oh, come on. Yeah, we love this part. So after the worship service, they ate a sacred meal together. Listen to this, verses 
9 through 18, we'll work through these verses. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they, just imagine the scene, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as, if, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. It's on top of rugged Mount Sinai. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men and on the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Now, some of you might know, some of you might not know uh, what it's talking about right there. Uh, doesn't God say multiple times, no one can see the face of God and live? That's what it's talking about there. It says they saw God, but God's hand did not strike them down. And here's why. Because they saw the presence of God. Of God. They didn't, no, they had a meal. Can you imagine being a part of this meal, sitting at a table with all these 74 and God and having a meal on the top of Mount Sinai? That's a pretty fun meal. That's a picture of what we're going to enjoy in heaven. When we're having a meal, we'll be at the table of God and we'll be seeing him face to face because this human nature, sin, sin stained nature, is gone. So that's glorification. That's what we have to look forward to. This is what they had. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 explains this further, that they, saw, they were in God's presence. They did not see him face to face, and that's why it didn't kill them. But God ended his worship service with a meal, a holy meal. It's a relational covenant with God. Know this. It's not just religion or duty. It is those things, but it's relationship. This is a relationship with God. Oh, how he loves us and wants us to commune with him and with, other, with each other in him. And so he gives us the meal, this communion with God and with, with each other. And that's why I love the Grace Brethren way to celebrate communion. In our quarterly threefold communions, if you've never been to one, uh, we have a meal together. That's part of it. And a lot of other worship. Our next one is, is August 22nd, I believe. So it's coming up later this summer. And I hope that you'll be a part of that. But we have lots of other meals together, don't we? I mean, every time we have a training or a prayer meeting, uh, we eat together. That's good. And small groups especially. Uh, our small group ate together every time we met this last year. And last Friday, I went to pick up my daughters at the Ashtonfelter's house. And guess what? I got to sneak in to the leftovers from their small group meal. And that was nice also. So we eat together. It's a relationship that we have with God with each other. That closes the worship service. Now, let's just read verses 12 through the rest, through the end of the chapter, to see how it ends. To see how it ends. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God further. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let, let him go to them. So he's taking care of managing the people well while they're gone. Verse 15, then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Just Moses. So we kind of left Joshua halfway. Hold on to this. Verse 16, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. There's this process to enter God's holiness. You better purify your heart. 
And so he does. Now, verse 17, now the appearance of the glory of God was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. All the people down below saw it. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And we're going to end up with a little cliffhanger here. It's like a movie scene from The Lord of the Rings or something. Moses and his group, he says, Joshua and I will go up the mountain. You stay here. Joshua, you stay here. And then he goes. You know, you can see it, right? I think one of the Lord of the Rings ends just like that. Something like that. And so he goes. Up, he disappears in the cloud, and he's gone for 40 days. Uh-oh, that's a really long time for the leader to be gone with no idea where he is or what's happened to him. And so the people we're going to see in, in the coming chapters don't know what to do with that except to revert back to what they were comfortable with in Egypt. And that sets up the story of the golden calf, which we'll get to in a few weeks. Brothers and sisters, today... God has made promises to us that show his love and care for us. Will you remember those and claim those? God has made commands that define our relationship with him in the way that we should live, that honor him and bring every kind of health to us. Will you obey all of them? They're right here. The words of life. God launched formal worship of him with each other. Will you worship him continually? Community grace. That leads to just one next step today, and that is for you. This is your opportunity. This is the next step I encourage you to take before God right now. You tell him, I will participate in the worship God provides us. Like the Israelites, we are invited to worship God. We're invited to have a relationship with him through the shed blood of Jesus. God calls, him, God calls us himself. He speaks directly to us through his word. That's what we follow. And like the Israelites, we're separated from God completely because of our sin, and we're righteously under judgment for that sin. But like the Israelites, God provided a sacrifice of atonement through the blood of his covenant. We're under the new covenant now. Not the blood of animals anymore, but the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us, for all those who will believe him and receive him. Have you received him as Jesus, as your Savior, sacrificed Lord of your life? If you haven't, you're still grasping and, and dead in sin and lost in darkness. Trust him today, and he'll bring you in to his glorious light and life. If, you've done, if you're going to do that for the first time today, please let us know. This isn't something to do just in isolation. I think that's been made clear. We're all in this together. Write that on your communication card if you'd like to do that or come talk to me or somebody else who you trust. And today could be the day of your salvation. Wouldn't that be great? For everyone, let's worship God, obey him, be together. Let's pray.